You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled The Gift. Hello my radio friends. Thanks for joining me today for another thoughtful program based on God's holy book, the Bible. You may know someone who has had an organ transplant. That person would most likely be grateful for the chance to live when if the transplant had not been done, the alternative would have been death. One such person was Jose Calderon, and here is his story. He says, My name is Jose Calderon. At the age of 35, I was in the prime of my life. I had a beautiful family. My wife, my daughters, ages 14 and 11, and my son, age 3 at that time. I was running a brand new business, and I was very successful. And this business was allowing me to provide for my family. Health-wise, I was very healthy. But on March 22, 2008, everything changed. That Saturday morning, I had a massive heart attack. From that moment on, my life changed. I was in a coma for almost three weeks. When I woke up at the UCLA Transplant Centre, the first thing I heard was from the doctor who said, Mr Calderon, you need a heart transplant. I replied, Doctor, you're mistaken, I'm a healthy man. But by the end of that sentence, I had to catch my breath. I was tired, and I just had to listen. Yes, Mr Calderon, your heart is very weak. The only chance of your survival is a heart transplant. Well, it took almost two years for the miracle to happen. In those two years, my life was most miserable. I cried many days. I felt many times that I wasn't going to make it to the next day. Not because I was depressed, but simply because my body was so weak. It was not going to function. Then I got the call. The drive from my house to UCLA Transplant Centre took over an hour. During that time, I reviewed my life for the past two years. I realised how fortunate I'd been. Yes, my health was horrible, but my family, friends and my community had been there with me the whole time. I looked back and I saw the way they took care of me and the compassion in their eyes. They felt my pain and did their best to ease it. I went to the operating room with these thoughts. When I woke up from the transplant, I couldn't believe what had happened. Someone had given me his heart so that I could have a better quality of life. I'm so grateful to that person. 
I truly believe that God was reflected in the love I received from my family, friends and doctors. I felt a necessity to give back a little bit of what was given to me. Thanks to my donor, my family, friends and community, I can provide for my family once again. I've seen my children grow up. I've watched my two daughters graduate from university and I celebrated my son's 13th birthday recently. And now, whenever I can, I communicate the importance of organ and tissue donation to others. Although I took life for granted before the heart attack, now I have a different attitude. I now regard life as a gift. Without the gift from that unknown to me donor, I would not have been able to tell this story. I would not have been able to see my children grow up, and my children would have been in a home without a father. My dear wife would have had to get a job to support the family and be mother and father to my kids. Life indeed is a gift and should never be taken for granted. So that's the end of his story. It's my opinion that from time to from the time of his transplant Jose would have been would have regarded every breath he took every heartbeat every movement the ability to think to love to see and to move as a gift but who gives those gifts you see life is a gift of God. We do not intrinsically have life of ourselves. It is given to us by our Creator. It is given so that we may have the opportunity to appreciate the giver of all life, and that, of course, is God. Of course, we've also been given the right of choice to either honour God or dishonour him. But there are consequences of those choices that everyone needs to be aware of. The word gift is used in the Bible as an opposite to wages. This is demonstrated in Romans 6.23, which says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, in Jesus Christ our Lord. Wages are what we rightfully deserve and work for. A gift is not deserved. The Bible uses the word gift many times and uses the expression gift of on a number of occasions. As far as I know, the expression gift from is not used. So why? Well, it's my opinion that the expression gift of has a stronger meaning and expresses a continuance, whereas gift from suggests a one-off act.
So then, what are the gifts of God? Each of six gifts are mentioned more than once, but later in the program I want to deal with the sixth and most important gift. The first five gifts mentioned are the gift of grace, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of peace, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and finally, the gift of eternal life. Are all these gifts from God? Well, James chapter 1 and verse 17 answers that question. It says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change. Again, in the book of James, this time chapter 4 and verse 6, and it's quoting from Proverbs 3.34, the gift of grace is highlighted. The verse says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So now, how are we to understand what grace is? Grace is goodwill, the intention and practice of doing something nice, even when that something nice is not deserved. Here's an example. Let's say someone does or says something nasty to you that makes you feel offended. Instead of returning their nasty words or deeds, you're kind to them and forgive them and maybe even excuse them by telling yourself, ah, oh, perhaps they didn't sleep well last night, or perhaps they're feeling ill today. The natural inclination would be to do something nasty back to them, and to give them something bad in return for what they do deserve. When we dishonour God, who's our Creator, and who deserves our respect, by using his name in vain, that is, in a careless and disrespectful manner, if God asserted his rights, we would be zapped. But because of who God is and what he's like, instead of destroying us, he's gracious and overlooks our insults. The gift of grace is not like a parcel that comes through the postal system. It isn't something you can hold in your hand and touch. Instead, it's like having a good friend who sticks to you through thick and thin and is always there for you. It is like that friend's kindness to you even when your behaviour is objectionable. In another sense, it's like having access to an unlimited reserve of money to call on, even if you're broke. Grace is a characteristic of our loving God. But forgiveness is also a gift. Forgiveness is only possible because of grace. 
If God were not gracious, forgiveness would not be possible. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 is a powerful reminder. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and that of you not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Have you ever heard about the payback system that operates in some areas of New Guinea and similar places? Typically, it goes like this. Say, for example, someone from one tribal village steals a pig from another village. To get even, later on, a raiding party goes to the previous village and steals two pigs. Then, to get even for that, the first village sends out a raiding party to the second village and steals four pigs, and so on and so on. How can this sort of behaviour be stopped? The only way is that one tribe forgives the other. Unless there is forgiveness, the issue will escalate into war. Forgiveness is a beautiful gift. It heals. It heals the hurts and wrongs that you may have committed against someone else. And it heals you when you ask for and receive forgiveness. It heals the separation between both parties. In the Lord's Prayer, as recorded in Matthew 6, Jesus gave the instruction to forgive us our wrongs as we forgive the wrongs others have committed against us. Forgiveness is conditional. We have no right to be forgiven if we ourselves are not gracious and prepared to forgive. Furthermore, if we're not able to give, then we're in no position to expect God or anyone else to be gracious to us. We're going to stop here, have a little break, and go on with the next gift straight afterwards. Like a babe when it cries for its mother Like a child I was helpless and all alone Then I met the Master Oh, all things were changed when he 
gift is the gift of peace. In John 14 verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now this is a strange yet a beautiful gift. We live in a troubled, hostile world. Yet when we accept Jesus as Lord of our lives, there is an uncanny peace that exists within us because he is in charge. He keeps his promises. And as long as we are faithful to him, regardless of what happens, the final outcome will be good. The gift of peace is well dem demonstrated by what happened during the Dark and Middle Ages when millions of Protestants were tortured for their faith. Many of them were burnt alive, yet many died singing to the glory of God, praying and even asking for forgiveness for their persecutors. Earlier, as recorded in John 14, in verse 1, Jesus explained the reason we have peace. He said this, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He then continued by reassuring his followers that they had the assurance of eternal life and of his second coming when he would collect those who've been faithful to him and take them back with him to heaven. God-given peace is like where a little child trusts its parent. Such a child is not bothered by what will happen in the future, about whether or not it will be cared for and fed and all that. It has peace 
because it trusts its parent. So it is with Christians. We have peace because we are able to trust our Lord. And we trust him because we realise that he loves us. And it's as simple as that. The next gift is that of the Holy Spirit. In John fourteen fifteen, Jesus is recorded as making this promise. He said, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, who the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. For he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. You most probably know that after his three and a half years of public ministry, and after his death and resurrection, Jesus returned to heaven to be with God the Father. But in doing so, Jesus provided for us. He sent God the Holy Spirit to guide us and comfort us and to keep us from losing hope. The Holy Spirit helps in shaping our lives. He convicts our consciences when we're likely to do wrong. And as I suspect in my own life, he has helped me make decisions that keep me committed to God. The Holy Spirit is not given for us to command to use for our own gain. We must not expect that he's like some magic genie who will carry out our every whim. But he does give us direction and power when needed to carry out the Lord's will. With the Holy Spirit in us, we can expect spiritual growth. Galatians 5.22 speaks about the fruits of the Spirit. They are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of these are God-like characteristics. But there are times when God gives his people special abilities they do not naturally have. 1 Corinthians 12 and verses 8 to 11 tells about some special gifts from the Holy Spirit. It says, To one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith through the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings through the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy to another the discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works in all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Don't get caught up with the idea that God's people all must speak in tongues. That idea is a deception. Now the next gift. John 3.16 teaches that God has a wonderful gift for those who accept his grace and forgiveness. It is eternal life. The text says, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, that's some gift. It is the ultimate gift. No, it's not deserved. It's given, and you can have it, if you accept that Jesus, God the Son, gave up his sinless life to meet the legal requirements as substitute for our sinful lives. It sounds too good to be true, but it is true. Someone else did all the hard work for you to receive this gift. Now, while thinking about today's topic, I I pondered the expression gift of God. And in doing so, I began to realise that the expression contains a very wonderful meaning. Gift of God can also mean that God is the gift. In reality, that's the case. God, that is Christ, gave himself to us and for us. And in that sense, the one who is our master became our servant. He did what we are unable to do on our own. As sinners, it's impossible for us to save ourselves. Jesus, however, took on the role for us by doing what we were unable to do. He served us in order to have our company through eternity. He died in your place because he loved you. He rose again because he loves you. He's coming again to take you with him back to heaven because he loves you and wants to give you joy and peace for eternity. Wouldn't it be a pity if all that love is wasted on you because of your failure to accept it? And that's the thought I want to leave with you today, in the hope that you will accept God's gift of grace and want to be with our Lord in heaven for eternity. Hey, join me again next time, won't you?